Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Wherever you are on your journey to glorify God, we are so glad you're here. On the Journey Women podcast, we'll come alongside you in the seasons and challenges of life to move you to know and love God and His Word, to find your hope in the gospel, and to invest deeply in your local church as you go out on mission for the glory of God. Today, Di Hankey is bringing some gospel grace to our weary souls. If you don't know him, Di is a church planter in Cardiff, Wales, and the founder of Red Community, a Christian charity that fights human trafficking. Speaking from a personal experience of burnout, Di will come alongside those of us who feel weary to explore what it looks like to lean on Jesus and to enjoy his rest. I can't wait to share this conversation with you all, but before we go there, I want to say a big thank you to those of you who support Journey Women Ministries by donating to the podcast. With your help, we are coming alongside more women to move them to know and love God, and we are so grateful. If you'd like to help us, you can do so at journeywomenpodcast.com forward slash give. Di, welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. It is so good to be with you. Well, I told you that your book came across my desk. It's called Hope Word, Gospel Grace for Weary Souls. And I thought, you know, maybe I should open this up because I have been in a season in which I have felt admittedly weary. And I know that many of our listeners are in that place as well as we're running a series called Rest for the Weary. So thank you for your willingness to meet us in this place. Um, Before we get started, I just want to tell people a little bit about you. You are not in the U.S., which is where I am. You're actually in the U.K., which I find far more impressive than being in the U.S. (laughs) I love every time I get to talk to somebody across the pond. And so what time is it where you are right now? It's about 9.35 a.m. where I am. Well, it's 3.35 here in the UK, so like, I guess I'm quite a way uh, ahead of you. Yep, yep. Well, I imagine after having done life and ministry for 40 plus years, you may have navigated seasons of burnout and weariness yourself. So could you tell us a little bit about your personal experience with burnout and weariness in ministry? Yeah. Um, so the book that you've uh, been been passed, you know, which obviously which, which has led to this podcast, was written off the back of perhaps the the most extreme kind of uh, latest episode of burnout, which happened uh, just towards the end of the first year of COVID, the end of twenty twenty. I think when I reemerged from what had been a really difficult um, year, I mean, it's difficult for everybody, right? Like nobody enjoyed twenty twenty. Um, but you know, it was, it was a particularly difficult one for me for for various reasons, and I think I was just a spent force. I was just absolutely whacked i was just like you know i was struggling for faith i think i was probably struggling for sanity to be honest with you 
Um, I'm quite an extreme personality anyway. And so when I'm extremely good, things are, you know, great, you know, things amazing. But, you know, when things are, are hard, I, I, I find it quite hard to fight off extreme darkness and extreme kind of bleakness. And I think I got to a point at the end of 2020 where I was just done. I was just like lying on my bed, staring at the ceiling, thinking I can't really carry on. I've got nothing left to give my family, my ministry or anything. I'm, you know, I don't know why God doesn't just take me up to heaven now because I'm not sure I got much left to offer anybody. Hmm. That's pretty much where I where I got to, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because we've been doing this series on weariness and diet. I have to tell you, I think a combination of like you know books take about like two years to produce, and then also just the the extreme weight of that season. So many of us felt that way, and I think that's carried through. You know, a lot of the conversations that I've been having with guests are about that season from 2020 and how the Lord has like brought them through that. And yet, I think so many people still feel weary and burned out. Why do you? think that is i mean obviously that feeling and that experience existed prior to 2020 as well and and it's continuing for so many of us so why do you think so many like christian people feel weary and burned out like what leads to that place yeah i mean i'm sure there's medical explanations for it which i wouldn't have a clue i you know i haven't even got like you know proper science uh you know uh gcse's let alone <laughs> a medical degree to be able to tell you what what the medical reasons are, I just think that what COVID did was it really it, it stopped us all in our tracks. It made us all face up to a lot of things that perhaps we were just running around that hamster wheel so quickly we didn't have to face up to. I think it exposed not only our own personal fragility and weakness, but I think it actually exposed for us in the West the weakness, the fragility, and the chaos of our own Western world, which perhaps until that point, it felt relatively stable and relatively trustworthy. And I think that I know quite a lot of people who didn't have an experience like I had, but who would say, thank God I got through COVID, but things don't feel the same as they used to feel. And there's just this Mm -hmm. kind of strange season that we seem to be in where we seem to be, we're never going to get back to what it was like pre-2020, but we're not quite sure what it's meant to be like now. And that in itself can, I think, produce a lot of anxiety and a lot of um, stress for people as they try and find their place in a world that doesn't quite feel like it used to feel. Yeah, I completely agree with that. You know, I feel like for many of us, COVID, that era was like the closest thing to tragedy that we might have experienced and life on the other side of tragedy. It's like you're not able to live as, you know, laissez-faire as you were prior to that. So what good has come out of it? Like, how does how has the Lord used this to draw you closer to Christ? And what does Jesus really offer to us um, when we feel that heavy laden kind of um, experience? Yeah, that's a great question. James chapter four, verse six says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I just think that we either need to receive moments like this, wherever that's like, you know, you know, mm. in a more broader cultural sense, or for me in a more personal sense, as opportunities to get off a high horse for a minute and realize, actually, I'm not all that. I'm not strong. I'm not in control. I'm not like, you know, God's gift to this world. Jesus is, um, you know, I have a great deal of weakness, uh, a mm-hmm. great deal of personal crud and clutter that, you know, I don't like thinking about and I don't like facing up to. But it's actually, it's in those moments where we can own that and confess that, 
that God almost seems to say, great, now you, now you, I got some grace you can receive because, you know, it's those who are in need of grace and mercy that approach the throne with humility. And I just think that too many of us try and strut and swagger our way through the Christian life thinking, hey, look at this impressive thing I've done or look at this, you know, I'm, I'm killing it right now, I'm crushing it. And I think that's that doesn't really make us useful to God. And I don't think it's sustainable. And I think you can almost see the kindness of God sometimes in crushing us and stopping us to, to the point where we have to just recognize we need a savior we need help um you know we we need a deliverer we need the lord to be the one that's in control we need the lord to actually be the lord and not you know i think a lot of us like the idea about the lord being the savior but we but we want to be the lord you know we want to be the ones that are in control Mm -hmm. call the shots and when all that when, when stuff gets stripped away and you're confronted with your own mortality and your own weakness you're not a very good lord in that moment and he can get back, you know, mm. and it's essentially he he can be rethroned in your life as the one who is strong and who is gracious and who is able to sustain you. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving Word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. I love that picture of us drawing near to the throne of grace. What does that actually look like, though, Di? I mean, I I know we talk about that when we're in a season that is challenging, like, oh, we need to draw near to the throne of grace. But what what does that actually mean for the Christian and what happens when we do? I I, I think it means literally dethroning ourselves and letting that be like the best the preferred posture, the best posture of our Christian faith. I think sometimes hmm. as Christians, we have this this mindset of, I was crashing the car, got out to jump through the window and grab the wheel and stop me hitting the wall. But now I'd like to take the wheel back and carry on driving a bit. Like, thanks Jesus for like, you know, stopping me crashing too bad, but yeah. now I'll take the wheel again. Whereas I think approaching the throne of grace is essentially saying, I don't want to touch that flipping steering wheel ever again. Like I... No, it's not a grace. So it doesn't only save us, but it sustains us. And, you know, the kind of the, the humble mm. posture of receiving grace needs to be the hallmark of Christian life, not just Christian conversion. And I think that God will use whatever means it takes to humble us to the point where we allow him to be God in our lives, not just to the point where we can, you know, sort of just cope with the really bad times until we're the ones that are in control again. Yeah, it reminds me of the title of J.I. Packer's book, like, Weakness is the Way. 
And I have dubbed that as the theme of my life. We need to take one step after the other, just acknowledging that posture of humility and dependence is what ought to characterize the whole journey of our Christian life. So how does God use us in our weakness? Because I think, Di, a lot of times we feel like we're not meant to be that weak and needy. Like we ought to be strong, like the power of Christ's strength rests in me. But really the Lord is using us in that position of weakness to display his power and strength. So how does he do that? It can feel so counterintuitive whenever you're actually experiencing it. I just think it's a lie of the Western world. I really do. I think Huh. We're encouraged to sort of like, you know, to to go get it, to go after it, to be all that you, you know, all that you can be, to be the best version of you that you could ever be and to change the world, even like, you no, know, to change the world in Jesus name. But like, it's almost like the in Jesus name bit gets tagged on the end, but us being world changers is the real focus. I just think that, and I just think it's bonkers. It just doesn't chime with biblical Christianity at all. And, um, you know, you look at Hebrews 11, I think I mentioned this in, in the book, you look at Hebrews 11 and you can read it, you can read it through one of two ways. Uh, you can either read it as look at all these amazing men and women who did incredible exploits, or you can read it as a list of men and women who really stuffed up, yeah. and, you know, but God was still gracious to use them. And the fact that, you know, um, they're not there saying, Hey, look at us, we're the inspiration that you need. They're all there saying, look at Jesus. He's the one yes. that you really need. And, yes. um, you know, Jesus is the hero of, of the biblical story and he should be the hero of our story. But so often we want to almost live this kind of like micro Hollywood story where we're actually the hero and we're the ones who get the credit for anything good that comes out of our lives. And uh, it just doesn't, you know, it's, it's just not biblical Christianity. I love that bit in Second Corinthians where Paul is basically talks about this thorn he's got in his flesh. I love that we never find out what that thorn is. We're not told it was, you know, this, that, or the other. So none of us could say, oh, well, Paul's thorn is not as bad as my thorn. We just don't know what his thorn was. But when he pleaded with the Lord three times to remove it, and God's like, no, I'm not going to take the thorn away from you. I'm going to let the thorn remain so you can learn this really important lesson that my grace is sufficient for you because my mm. power is made perfect in weakness. Like, we just want to find a million ways to avoid getting thorns. And if you get the thorns, to get the thorn out as quick mm. as you possibly can. But God sometimes just says, no, you actually need that thorn more than you realize. Because without the thorn, you're in control and you're and, and you're the Lord of your own life. But with the thorn, it presses you into me. And that's a much better place to be if you want to live a fruitful Christian life. Oh, that's such an encouragement to me, one who has many thorns. What is your thorn? The pain that pricks your side, the wound in your flesh that torments you, the weakness you plead for the Lord to remove. What is it that presses you low? Is it a pull of the flesh, a recurring sin, prolonged grief that renders you weak, a loss that makes you continually weary, a years-long struggle that cripples you? Our thorns may vary, they're born in different ways. Oft we complain of them, call them distractions, obstacles to a comfortable life, hindrances even to our kingdom work. We ask the Lord to remove them, balking when they remain, grumbling when they leave us, continually frail. Yet Paul said his thorn boasted of Christ's strength, his very weakness lifting high the Lord's sufficiency. Though he beseeched for their removal, he praised still when they remained, perhaps knowing something we are slow to know about the true meaning of grace, of weakness, of strength. Christ himself wore his thorns as a crown, 
a crown made as a mockery of his claimed authority, yet resting on the brow of the Divine One, who, though he beseeched for their removal, endured as they remained, obedient unto death, bearing thorns and death, that we might only know their shadow. Maybe it's true, then, that our thorns, these annoyances and pains, these wounds that prick, perhaps they are a gift. Maybe our thorns press us evermore toward the very fruit we long to cultivate, humility, patience, faith, trust, dependence. Maybe our thorns are blessings that lead us evermore into the arms of the one who is sufficient to turn all things for our good, all things for his glory. Maybe these thorns remain still, keeping us weak, keeping us low, keeping us close to the one whose grace is strong. about your experience die like when you were on the bed 2020 looking up at the ceiling thinking i cannot continue how did the lord bring you from that place of really kind of experiencing the end of yourself to actually being able to get up off that bed and re-engage with the work that he had set before you humbly depending on him for the strength that you needed to do that Mm, that's a really good question you know there's a there's certain parts about that season i don't remember a lot about i was in a bit of a fog be honest with you. I will say this. My wife was an incredible gift to me at that time. I remember she took me down to like see one of the, one of the, the other elders in the church and just said, I think Di needs a break. And, um, you know, and I, 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 so the church gave me a month or two off. I can't remember how long just to try and get on top of things. Um, hmm. and I, I was given a, a chance to sort of breathe out a little bit. Um, that was certainly really helpful. I think as well, and this might sound strange, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm massively a creature of habit. So there's certain, I mean, almost to the point where people think there's something wrong with me. Like I built certain <laughs> things into my daily routine that I do every day, no matter what. And one of those things is starting the day with my Bible open on my lap and a cup of coffee. And I just think that that this, I mean, even, even before that, to just talk about like, you know, a bit crazy. Yeah. I, we have chickens. So I, I, I go, I go out and I feed the chickens and I feed our rabbits and I walk my dog. Then I have the Bible and the coffee. And I think just having those kind of things that were still part of my daily routine, whether I wanted to mm. do them or not, were actually really helpful as well. Like, you know, I, I had certain, and you know, every day I make the kids pack lunches for school as well. And I, I, I make breakfast for the family and I can't remember if I did that or not during that season, but certainly I know that even in the bleakest and the kind of foggiest moments, I still would be sat there with my Bible open and my coffee in my hand, mm. um, you know, trusting that God was going to communicate something helpful to me. Mm. Um, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, and then eventually, I mean, eventually you got to the point where like, you're ready to share though. So much hopeful truth in this book, like how I'm just really curious, like reflecting back on it, like what was the period between like the fog and then like putting pen to paper and hoping that you might be able to offer some encouragement to others who find themselves in the same place? Yeah, that's, that's a really, that's, that's a really interesting one because I didn't think, you know, Hey, I got to share this with people. That's not where this was going. I think I'll have to check my emails to say hundred percent that this was the case, but I'm pretty sure that the good book company had already asked me to write a book called don't quit. Um, because I'm generally, 
I think I'm kind of seen by some as a, you know, a motivational speaker kind of Christian. Like, you know, I encourage people, I give them a real, you know, kick in the, kick in the pants and, you know, <laughs> Don't quit. Don't give up. You know, you can do it. You you know, you can make it. And I think so. I think I was already oh working goodness. on some issues around that. And then, I mean, it's quite funny. I still got the email. I know I've still got the email here where, um, so in the end I said, all right, I'll write you something in the middle of the season. And I sent them, um, what, what is largely, I think the first chapter of the book or the introduction where I talk about staring at a crack in the ceiling and stuff. And I remember like that my editor at the time, um, you know, I had had a different editor at that point. She just wrote back and she said, Di, I think you need to get some help. Um, that's, you know, we're quite concerned about you. Yeah. So just go and get some help and like, take some time and come back to us. And eventually when I came back and I was like, I'm feeling a bit better now. Like, w- w- let's talk about that. Don't quit book. They, you know, they were like, well, you know, sounds like you, you kind of probably got some stuff to contribute now because <laughs> yes. kind of, it kind of happened like that. You know, I, I'm not, I'm never one of those people I hope who thinks, Hey, I, I've got this thing and people need to hear about that. And especially about my own experiences. I don't like being the one in the, in, in the limelight in that sense, but so yeah. much, so much of the origins of that book are kind of rooted in the fact that I went through a really tough season. Um, yeah. and I think, and I think initially when I sent that first sample chapter in and they said, you probably need to get some help. I was expecting they were going to say, um, like, thanks for that. Let's like, let's start again now. But actually the, um, Rachel from the good book who kind of took the project on, she said, no, I should, I think we need to keep most of that because that's really helpful. It really kind of helps people to understand where you're coming from. Even though there was a big gap between that first chapter, which I think reads very differently to the rest of the book, that first chapter, and then all the other stuff subsequently, there's a big gap because, you know, when I wrote it, I was still in a pretty bad place. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I, I certainly wasn't in as bad a place as I was when it actually happened. But I think I needed, I think it took a couple of years in the end to, to get it all out. I just assumed that the first chapter was going to be like put in the bin because it sounded a bit kind of, I don't know, troubled. But I guess I, ha- I had been troubled and that's the point, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think so many of our listeners are in that place where they feel troubled and really even just getting into the word is a fight. I was talking to a friend, I'm in a season with little tiny kids, and she was asking me how my study of a particular book of the Bible was going. And my response was, you know, it's a fight to get in there every day. Mm-hmm. And she kind of thought that I meant I didn't want to, but it wasn't necessarily that I didn't want to, although that has happened in times past. It was more so that it's just like every obstacle seems to be coming at me to get into God's word. So mm-hmm. will you talk a little bit about how God's word offers us essential nourishment for our weak and weary souls as we are seeking to press on hopeward. Yeah. I mean, it's just eternal munch, isn't it? It's just eternal food. It's not like the junk food of the world. Like we often go to so many things that are superficial and they don't satisfy us when we're feeding in a diet. Right. We we have our kind of whether it is caffeine or or alcohol or um or relationships or you know just like doom scrolling on our phones or um you know just consuming box sets you know with, with a box of chocolates or, or whatever it might be. We all have places that we go, but none of it satisfies. None of it is going to um, give us that relief and give us that kind of sustenance that we really need. And I do believe that it's not just because the Bible, you know, describes itself as the bread, you know, the, the daily bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But it actually is. It actually does spiritually 
nourish us in ways that nothing else and no one else can and i think that's why having that that discipline is really important even to hear you say that you have to fight to get into the wood is really healthy because it means that there's a fight for it because you know it's like scrapping for your dinner isn't it yeah yeah i have to fight for that too it's it's like i'm starving there's a plate of food on the table and no matter what happens i gotta get you know it's stretch or starve so i've got to get into that meal and but if there's a struggle no matter how weak that struggle might feel, it's evidence of a, of a pulse. It's an evidence of a spiritual vitality. It's when you don't give a toss about the Bible anymore, you're in real bad shape. But I, I mean, I think my, my Christian life, I've been a Christian now 31 years, and it's just littered with moments where God's word has been just that that light that, you know, just shattered the darkness. It's been that, just that that that, that promise which got me through. It's been that that encouragement that, like, if I hadn't received it then, you know, I would have ended up in a really bleak place. And But you just got to make sure that you're putting yourself in a place where the word can do that, you know, by not swerving yeah. you know, church on Sundays, even if you don't feel like going to church, by allowing yeah. your friends to send you text messages with a scripture and allowing yourself to read those, even if you don't feel like reading it. And by sitting there with a the Bible open, even if it feels like it's just words on a page, just, just trusting that the Holy Spirit could just grab something and just apply it to you. It's just, you know, it's just yeah. That's really important. Yeah. You know, in my first book, it's called Read It, See It, Say It, Sing It. I talk about how the Bible is a story that from beginning to end tells us about how Jesus can save us from death and from sin. So I think that the the Bible is going to lead us to Jesus. You know, you talk about in your book, Matthew 11, 28 through 30, like, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So how does Jesus really satisfy our hunger as we meet him there in the text, how does he satisfy our hunger and replenish our thirsty souls? And how does the cross of Christ really free us from all the burdens that we're carrying and offer us real hope? Yeah. I mean, I think that, that, I mean, I I did a lot of thinking around those, those opening kind of uh, verses that you just referenced here in Matthew 11 about come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And just looking at the context of where those verses are, you wonder if like, what Jesus really had front and center in his mind was people who were self-righteous, people who were trying to prove wow. their own salvation. They were trying to justify themselves through their works. The Pharisees, for sure, were like promoting a religion of works and a religion of work hard and keep all the rules and don't mess up. And I just think that what what Christ in his in his mercy uh, and and his his cross does is he says it's finished. Like you haven't got to strive to prove anything anymore you haven't got to strive to be good enough for god anymore you haven't got to strive to prove to god that you're something that you're not anymore he knows exactly mm. who you are still he loved you enough to you know come for you in, in in the person of christ his blood has been spilled so whatever sin might be like you know wrapping itself around you and like you know um, clouding your your mind and what, what whatever struggles you, you may have that are telling you that it's over well, the cross says that you're loved and you're forgiven and, and there's nothing left to prove. And the empty grave says that it's not over. Like there's, there's hope. And I think that that's, that's what I love about Christ. And I think in the book where I, I do write a bit around G, um, the word being the bread of life, I think I kind of make the transition from the word is the bread because Christ is the bread. And like, you know, it because the word takes us to Jesus, mm. we see in Jesus the fulfillment of every promise, you know, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ and all these amazing promises of deliverance and salvation and much needed hope. That's all found in Christ. And, um, that's just so crucial for us, isn't it? Like that we yes. don't, 
that we, we don't just take bumper verse stickers that feel good, but we allow whatever we read in the scriptures to point us to Christ, you know, because he, you know, I, I just love the fact that, and I think I, I do reference this in the book as well, um, that he's now sat at the right hand of the father, like job done. There's nothing left to do, but he's not just mm-hmm. sat at the right hand of the father with his feet up, like, you know, watching telly. He's, he's now interceding for us, you know, yes. he came through it. He worked it. He, he, you know, he, he worked out our salvation for us. So we didn't have to save ourselves. And even now he's like leaning into the father saying, just give them the grace that they need father. Like they're struggling. They, they're in such need. And, and the father in his kindness, you know, does all kinds of beautiful, miraculous things. Like, you know, through the scriptures, supernaturally sometimes answered prayers, you know, uh, and he just like, he, 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 he responds to the intercession of Christ on our behalf. We're not on our own in this struggle. What does dinner time look like in your house? Is it a little chaotic and crazy like it is at mine? Let me tell you about Prep Dish and how they can help you simplify your evenings. You've probably heard us talk about Prep Dish in the past and maybe you've thought, man, I just don't have time to meal prep. But let me tell you, with Prep Dish, meal prepping for the whole week honestly takes just about one hour with their super fast plan and about two hours for the gluten-free, paleo, and low-carb meal plans. If you need a change in how you handle dinner time at your house, you have got to try Prep Dish. You'll serve up delicious meals that your family will love like green chili burgers, Caesar salmon wraps, and apricot glazed chicken thighs. Right now, the founder, Allison, is offering our listeners a free two-week trial to try it out. You can't beat that. Check out PrepDish.com forward slash journey for this great deal. Again, that's PrepDish.com forward slash journey for your first two weeks free. Yeah, certainly we're not alone. And like you said, if we believe in that glorious good news that you just so beautifully laid out, he's also given us his spirit. So how does the spirit and also the saints, others who have the spirit in them, help us to move forward as we navigate these challenging seasons? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Holy Spirit takes, the Holy Spirit's job in the world is to point us to Jesus, isn't it? To guide us into all truth. The Holy Spirit is not trying to draw attention to himself. He's trying to draw attention to, well, he, to Christ and to what Christ has done. So, you know, the Spirit uh, and, and Paul's prayer in uh, Ephesians is that the Spirit would strengthen us to be able to comprehend the love of God in Christ along mm. with all the saints. So, like, the Spirit is committed to helping not just me, but us, you know, the church, to comprehend the love of Christ, which is so mind-blowingly cosmic that it's going to take eternity to try and wrap our heads around it. Um, so the Spirit is is God's gift to us in that sense. You know, He's the one that brings us to life in the first place. He animates our, our dead hearts and you know causes us to cry out to God for salvation in the first place. And He's just committed to constantly, like you know, it's like sometimes He has to grab our head and turn it and say, "Keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus." And that's mm. what he's, that's what He's committed to doing. But likewise, um, in that chapter where I mentioned the Spirit and the saints, that's that's a, that's a difficult thing to speak into because I know that for a lot of people, the church can often be one of those reasons why we feel burnt out or frustrated or disillusioned or discouraged. And I certainly wouldn't say just get over yourself and just keep going to church in a sense that like 
not recognizing that some people that's been part of the problem. Perhaps yeah. some churches have like worked you to, you know, to the bone and that's why you're burnt out. Maybe there's mm. churches that aren't teaching grace, but are teaching works that are either overtly or covertly giving you the communication that like you need to do better. You need to work harder. You're not measuring up. Your sin is, you know, is, is the defining reality in your life right now. And that can be really painful and really dangerous. We, we can feel let down by other Christians. But the danger at that point is to do this kind of pendulum like swing from one extreme to the other and say, because I don't feel that I've been helped by the church or safe in the church, or I don't feel that, you know, Christians have helped me. I kind of need to just work this out. Me and Jesus and the Holy yeah. Spirit. That's fine. Me and the Trinity. That's, that's cool. But I don't want to bring other Christians into this. And I think that that's, you know, I, I do try and write quite sensitively about that in the book. But basically what I would say to that is we just need God to help us to heal in community mm -hmm. because A, there are Christians who are meant to be a means to grace to us and not all Christians are, you know, trouble. You know, some, you know, I, I, I could think of as many Christians, well, more Christians personally, who've been a help and a blessing to me than the other way around, even though, like, you know, I've got my own fair share of scars at the hands of other Christians. But, you know, Christians can also be a huge means of grace through prayer, through encouragement, through support, all that kind of stuff. But secondly, and this is like a really important point, we are also potentially a means of grace to other Christians as well. Mm -hmm. And like God wants, God doesn't only want us to receive from other Christians. He wants us to be a blessing to other Christians as well. And if we choose to remove ourselves from the community of faith, it's not only what we lose, it's what they lose as well. Mm -hmm. And when God heals and restores us, we can then be in a better position to be gracious and empathetic and really meaningfully kind of fruitful in giving grace to those around us too. And I think that's a really important part of this equation as well. I think if mm -hmm. we isolate ourselves, then the devil's, you know, pulled a, a real trick and we're not, we're not going to benefit from that and nor are the people around us, you know, mm -hmm. it's hard, man, because, you know, people are people and they can be, you know, hurt people, hurt people. And, you know, people can be really awkward and problematic. And I don't think you should, certainly, <laughs> not, certainly, certainly not, not suggesting you should just, you know, trust yourself to people who prove themselves to be untrustworthy. But I am, I am saying, I believe with, with like the Bible as my kind of textbook on this, the Bible is my mandate for saying this, we can't mm -hmm. just write off the church because Jesus didn't. We know that for some of you listening right now, Di's words might hit really close to home. As someone who grew up in the church and has spent most of my last decade on staff at a church or intimately involved in serving the church in various ways, I unfortunately have experienced my fair share of what you would call church hurt. And friends, it is gut-wrenching. It's deeply painful. And for anyone who has experienced hurt at the hands of the church, whether that has been wounds from other members, belittling from church leaders, injustice, manipulation, or outright spiritual abuse, I want you to hear that we are so sorry for that. To invest in a place that you thought was safe, people that you thought were your people, who were your family, for the church to suddenly feel unsafe or like a hurtful place, I know that that is such a horrible, hard, isolating, heartbreaking thing. If that's you, my prayer for you is that you can see God's heart toward you, no matter what your experience is. Abuse, injustice, manipulation, these things are deeply upsetting to the heart of God. He does not want his church to be defined by these things. 
I know it can be so hard to separate the actions of members of a church from the God they profess, but in some instances, and likely with a lot of help, you might need to work really hard to see the character of God as separate from the hurt you've experienced from the church. Because God's heart toward you is not cruel, manipulative, or abusive. His heart toward you is only good and only kind. It's the only thing He can be. At the end of the day, even after the various hurts I have experienced from the church, I still very much love the church. And you know what? At least for me, the place where I was hurt has turned out to be the very place where I have found the deepest healing from that hurt. It has been a gift and a mercy to me, after various painful experiences, to run back to the church. Albeit, sometimes this has meant going to a different church body. But to find safety, community, and love there. And I hope for you too that you can experience the beauty, the safety, and the healing of God's church. There's so many interesting components and different ways to think about that. I remember when I was in a hard season, just lost my dad and my grandmother was on hospice and I felt like I didn't have anything to give. And I think for so many of us, like you were saying, that are struggling with feelings of weariness, a lot of it may have to do with our um, maybe idolization of productivity. And so I felt like when I didn't have anything to give, well, why would I why would I be a part if I don't have anything to offer? And yet, just like what you're saying, I mean, even in our time of need, if we have nothing to offer, even if we may not be receiving as much as we'd hope from the people in our local body, we still are able to allow them to see our need and to to have the opportunity to minister to us and then to walk alongside, you know, someone who's struggling um, in a way that might make us all able to um, reach out to and, and, and minister to others in more potent ways. So that's such an encouragement. I know it's such a tender place to be. And um, man, my heart, my heart goes out to the listeners who are walking through that right now. And we're just praying for you. Um, tell me, tell me this die, this, that you can take this deep or you can keep it light and breezy. It's up to you. I've asked every guest in the series so far, what it is that brings you rest when you feel weary. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, and this isn't in the book, but like, one of the things that has come out of this process for me is a lot of like self-examination, trying to work out, are there things about me that perhaps I need a bit of help with, you know, and I'm currently being assessed whether I might have ADHD or autism or both, because I, I, I generally find it hard to rest. Like, even if I can rest physically, I can never turn my hmm. mind off. My mind is constantly going. And so, you know, I find so finding ways of really meaningfully resting is actually really hard because I can be physically resting, but mentally still kind of these wheels whirring really fast. And that that when I'm in a good place, that can be a blessing. But when I'm in a bad place, yeah. that can be a real problem. And normally I feel the need to rest when things aren't going well. But then if I stop doing everything, I just sit there with my wheels still and, turning. Yes. I can spiral into some really dark places. And so, yeah, yeah I think. So I think that that, that self-awareness has been really helpful, though, for me to try and work out. So I need to be honest with my wife about how I'm doing. She kind of speaks, you know, very uh, and others in my life as well, not not just uh, Michelle. Um, 
it's important for me to, to get out in creation. I used to live up in the valleys in South Wales, which is very green and very beautiful. I, I now live in a concrete jungle in the inner city. And I yeah. think all, the lack of beauty is a problem. And so sometimes I just got to get into the mountains or go to the sea or something like that and just like look at something which is like big and beautiful and lifts my eyes to the hills or to the you know, or to the oceans, which isn't, <laughs> which, which isn't a Bible verse, but it could be. <laughs> you know I mean? Just to see something of God's beauty in creation. Um, and just to enjoy, you know, good food and, and, and good company with people. Sometimes, I think yeah. my wife knows. Sometimes, Di looks like he's exhausted. Let's get let's get a takeaway curry, and it's amazing like how much grace yeah. can be administered to my weary soul through curry. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's <laughs> that sort of thing's always a gift as well. Yeah, I think one of the big takeaways from this conversation is just this link between those of us who really. Uh, like have a propensity to produce and maybe who can even produce like pretty well, like (laughs) you're, you're, you're able to just kind of grit things out. And Mm -hmm. yet what an important thing it is for us to lean into the Lord as we are seeking to do the work that he has set before us. So as we close, Di, I would love to just hear from you what that discernment process looks like as somebody who also loves to do Christian ministry, someone who also loves uh, to work hard for the Lord. Like, how is it that you keep your self in a position of abiding in Christ um, and remembering kind of your limitedness as a creation and not as the one who is the creator? Yeah. I think there's John chapter 15, like with, with the abiding in Christ passage, John 15 is a, just a, such a beautiful passage of scripture to meditate on. But there's a verse in there in verse five, which I just think, and I love the fact that my wife gets this as well. So she, she, she reminds me of this as well. But I think that every Christian that is in ministry, especially who are like really productive type people, need to memorize John 15 verse five, where Jesus says to his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing like wow. it's just it's just such an important <laughs> I, anything good that comes out of my life man it's because jesus did it yeah and, and he gets glory for it anything bad in my life which is destructive or sinful or wrong or just prideful even the right thing in the wrong way i get the credit for that because that was fleshly and that was sinful but hmm. I think the older I'm getting, I don't sound like sound like an old granddad or nothing, but like, you know, I, I am the older I'm getting, the more I'm realizing. In fact, I prayed about this just this morning. Um, I don't think anybody's going to give a stuff about my name 10 years beyond my death. I don't think I'm, I just don't think I'm going to be remembered for a great deal. You know, I like to, I like to, you know, live like everyday matters and I like to live like the things I'm doing are really eternally significant. And with regards to the fact that it helps people to find Christ and trust Christ and follow Christ, it is eternally significant, but the name die hanky, may it perish. Mm-hmm. Like it's just not gonna, is uh, no one's going to be talking about me after my death. Mm-hmm. They're really not. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of other, you know, people who, you know, who, have done and will do better and more impressive things than me. What I do want is if is for my kids and those who I had the the privilege of like, you know, shepherding and, and serving with the gospel. I want them to be talking about Jesus 10 years yeah. after my death. Yes. That, that, that's what matters. And as much as I've got a, a, a name, which is quite memorable because it's a stupid Welsh name. Like <laughs> I, no one's going to be talking about it. I, you know, yeah. I'm not going to be a Spurgeon. People aren't going to yeah. read volumes of my books in centuries time. They're just not. So, 
Yeah. So to yeah. the degree to which this little book I've written during a hard time helps people right now look to Jesus yeah. and, and and tell everyone else about Jesus and cling to Jesus till the end, then that'll be successful. But then I'm yeah. going to get to heaven, lay my crown down and say, I made it. Thank you, Jesus. Your grace is sufficient. Can, can, can we have some curry? That'd be great. <laughs> Amen and amen. Well, I am so encouraged just to cling a little bit closer to Christ. Thank you so much for speaking to us so honestly and for encouraging us all to do the same. It's been a joy to have you on the Journey Women podcast. It's been a blessing. Thanks for having me. It's been good. We pray that this episode encourages you to find your hope and rest in Christ. If you found this episode helpful, consider listening to the rest of our Rest for the Weary series. These conversations have been such an encouragement to find my rest in the gospel as I go about the work that God has given me. Also, if you're looking for Dai's book or any resources from this series, you can find our Journey Women specific storefront with 10 of those bookstores at the link in our show notes. You can also find all sponsor links and coupon codes mentioned in the podcast at journeywomenpodcast.com forward slash sponsors. As always, thanks for listening. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. Can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week.